Milwaukee fixture that dishes out classic all-American burgers. I've got the best burgers in Milwaukee. We're going to welcome in Dave Sobelman. Good morning, Dave. Good morning. All right, you're hard at work here. You uh, got the burgers going. Let us know not only the burger of the day and more on National Burger Month. Um, well, 31 days of uh, new burgers for me anyway. I, you know, I've created 31 new burgers. Just a couple simple things that would make their burgers at home taste even better. Uh, we were talking earlier. Don't squeeze smash your burger. That is making national headlines all around the country going viral, as they say. And now we are getting a firsthand look at what it takes to make the chicken fried Bloody Mary. Joined by Dave Sobelman. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. You're welcome. Thank you. $5 of every uh, chicken fried Bloody Beast that I uh, sell will go to the local uh, hunger task force. Hunger, all right. So this is also, so it's not just for your good time. It's also helping people. Welcome to season three of the Right Idea Podcast. I'm Kevin Nicholson, volunteer president and CEO of No Better Friend Corp. In this season, we're highlighting the creativity and work ethic behind the businesses that make Wisconsin's economy go round. Today, we're interviewing Dave Sobelman, owner of the famous Wisconsin burger restaurant Sobelman's, and our No Better Friend Corp team can attest to the fact that Sobelman's burgers and Bloody Marys are outstanding. In today's episode with Dave, you'll hear a conversation centered on how he and his family built this business, the inspiration behind his famous Burgers and Bloody Marys, and the story of how his business has navigated a pandemic. I hope you enjoy. This is the Right Idea Podcast. All right, so welcome everyone to season three of the Right Idea Podcast. We here at No Better Friend are in this season, uh, talking and meeting with uh, local business owners in the state of Wisconsin and talking about their businesses, the challenges that they're facing in this weird and uncertain environment coming out of 2020 now, uh, but their plans for the future too. And just talking about the history of our communities and our state. And basically, these are people that are deeply welded into our communities. I want to get their perspectives. So today, we're meeting with Dave Sobelman. And many of you will recognize his last name from his multiple restaurants around the southeast Wisconsin area and the legacy that he and his family have put down in our community. Dave, welcome to the Right Idea Podcast. Good morning. We're thrilled to have you here. So I want to start, we'll just start talking about the history of the business. So I, I, I know, well, today I should actually say we're at 16th and Wells, which is one of your locations. You've got how many in total? There are four locations, three are mine. The fourth is a franchised location. It's in Waukesha. There are three stands at the Pfizer Forum. Okay. But those are not mine there. I have a contract deal with the Milwaukee Bucks and uh, Levy Restaurant, of course, Got it. They're they not, want your name. Yeah, they want my name. <laughs> That's a good thing when people yeah. want your name, that they like your food and your Bloody Marys enough that they actually want to put your brand on their restaurant. Yes, so that's sir. great. Yes, sir. Tell me about how it all starts. I know. So I said we're at 16th and Wells. There's the St. Paul location, which is the one I, I grew up going to. Tell me about how this whole story starts. Well, uh, I was about 32 years old. Just sold my carpet cleaning business. Did not know what I was going to do with my life. This is a true story. Right around the corner up the block, is there's a restaurant. It's a Greek family restaurant. Uh, the name is Michael's Family Restaurant. It's where I met my wife. My wife was, you know, little teenage, 19 years old, working there as a waitress. And she grew up in the business because her aunt, aunts, um, her mother were servers there. Okay. Uh, 
the 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 gentleman Michael, older gentleman who owned the place, was like a father, grandfatherly figure to my wife. Okay. He also owned uh, what is now Sobelman's Pub and Grill on Nineteenth and St. Paul. Okay. So you know, I have this carpet cleaning business. I'm done with it. It's been six and a half years. I sell it. I don't know what I'm gonna do with my life. Mm-hmm. This, Where were you living at? Were you in Milwaukee? Yeah, we were in Glendale. We, okay. Yeah. Uh, and he offers us, you know, this bar. I personally wasn't into it. Was sick of being self-employed. Uh, the hours. I wanted to get a, you know, a job nine to five and be home, you know, to have dinner and sit on the couch and watch TV with the kids. Uh, so I declined his offer, but a, it's a weird thing. A couple of weeks later, in a conversation on the phone, he's an old Greek man, likes to scream. And uh, he screamed at me and told me, you know, I'm stupid for not taking it. And he'll make it work for me because I explained to him there's no way I'm going to get a loan from the bank for a restaurant or a bar and blah, blah, blah. And anyway, it's weird how life turns out. Right. Because here I am 21 years later. It'll be 20, 22 in May. And uh, I'm Dave Sobelman. We're the Sobelmans, is uh, you know, with a name as well known as yeah. Indian Milwaukee, and right. And uh, it's definitely weird. And it's not what you had planned, obviously. But no. opportunity presented, and you grabbed it. the uh, The 16th and St. Paul location uh, is iconic. It's well known. It's in the it's in the Industrial Valley mm-hmm. in Milwaukee, which um, has a legacy of its own, right? Like it's it's true Milwaukee, like blue collar Milwaukee. Many hundreds of that. Well, at this point, yeah, many hundreds of thousands of Milwaukeeans have worked there and produced there and sent their goods all over the world. And tell me about the history of the tavern. It's been there quite a while, right? Yeah. Uh, so the Menominee Valley employed thousands and thousands of people at one right. time. And uh, th- this, you know, what is now Sobelman's Pub and Grill was a corner bar built by Schlitz and it catered to the factory workers, uh, blue collar workers in the Menominee Valley. Right. Um, and that's what I had, or even less, when we opened in, in 99. Um, and we had some of the factory workers, but we also had homeless people in the valley. I own the okay. building, so yeah, I own the building. So there were, there were rooms that I rented upstairs, and some of these people had been homeless at one time and, you know, somehow sucked it up and got their lives together and hmm. were able to, you know, come up with the 50, 60 bucks to rent a room for me uh, each week. Um, that was, the, I mean, that was our first year where, you know, factory workers and again, homeless people, um, you know, as you do a better job, you make better burgers, better Bloody Marys, take more pride, clean up the place. You start to see things change. Right. Next thing you know, you have, you know, managers of the, the businesses in the area, the salesmen who are trying to sell parts and other supplies to uh, the businesses in the area. The owners of the businesses in the area start to come in. Right. Um, get a write up in a local like shepherd express or something and that exposes the place to uh others outside of the menominee valley and it just took off right you're talking about the organic part of building a business which i think a lot of people who haven't been in your shoes don't fully understand it's you talked about it earlier too at an earlier point in your life you'd sold a business you want to go nine to five in part because the lifestyle is tough and Mm -hmm. It's, it's that complete ownership mentality, right? Of this thing doesn't make money unless you are fully committed to it. That mm-hmm. Customers don't just show up out of the blue. You have to work hard, establish a reputation, especially in the food industry where the failure rate is off the charts, right? And mm-hmm. that kind of like day in, day out grind, being there, owning it, owning every aspect of it because every review matters. Every person that leaves tells another 10 if they liked it or didn't like it, right? That 
it's just a different mentality. Um, talk to me a bit about that and how you get through those early years where you talk about like starting without that customer base and getting it there. Well, yeah, you nailed it. You know, for me and my wife, every customer matters. And right. Especially at that time. We, we were slower. We had more time to give all the attention. We made sure everyone, I mean, if we served a bird, we had to make sure that that bird was perfect. We wanted to we, we ask the server mm -hmm. to ask the customer, the bartender, whatever. We would go up to ask every single, you know, you don't want anyone to leave and be unhappy because, right. you know, once you get them in the door, you got, you know, if you do your job right, you got a good chance of, you know, getting them back. And they're marketing your product too when they leave. And they go out and tell somebody else, right. their friend, their family member, brother, sister, whatever. Right. Wow, this place, Sobelman's down in the valley. They've got the greatest burgers, blah, blah, blah. That's how it all started. Right. This is just two days ago. There was a girl who went to high school with me. She made the joke when she saw my wife. <laughs> uh, I was most likely to fail in high school. And then she, and it's a big laugh. And then she, then she looks at my wife and everybody's laughing, the whole staff. And she says, um, and then she said, least likely to be a success. I can't recall, yeah. but I was not very likely. You know, nobody would have put their money on me. <laughs> and so that's the odd thing, you know, 30 some years later, look at me right. with all these locations and the Sobelman's name and blah, blah, blah. Um, I didn't know I'd be this good at it. My wife, we, neither of us knew we would be. Somehow the small businessman or woman makes it, and we don't know how, but we just suck it up and we do it. Right. Uh, back to a point you or something you said earlier, 80% of restaurants don't last five years. Right. 90 don't last 10. Yeah. We're on our 22nd year. Yep. It's remarkable. I'm not bragging. You should. But I am. You should. <laughs> You've earned the right to brag about it and it's good and you're sharing the whole point of why we're talking about this, though. I think sharing this, your story is important, right? Because I don't know that enough people are getting that message out there today that whatever, whatever your path is, it doesn't have to run through a four year university. You don't have to know exactly what your entire career is going to be when you're 18. But you do have to be able to seize opportunities and then put a ton of effort into them. And some will fail, some won't. But like there's these moments and it sounds like your first couple of years in the business were that, right? Where it can go either way. And you throw everything into it. You, you do your darnest and make it work. And it's amazing what can actually happen. And if it doesn't work, you got to be ready to, to bounce back. I mean, and that's actually a good question. When and where you've tried things in the business that have failed, maybe there's a story there. Anything that you've encountered that didn't work out that you had to bounce back from? Um, yeah, I'm glad you, you brought that up because I wanted to interrupt and say that I've learn more from my, my failures than right. any of my successes. So things were going along great for us. We'd been open 10 years and um, we decided because this guy, Bill Curtis, who hosts these shows on A&E, on cable, uh, he, he was in the, uh, he was in town pushing his uh, grass fed beef, tall grass beef. It's okay. a company. This is going back to 2009. He was in town pushing his product. I knew he was leaving my restaurant with my, the, the Gordon food service salesman at that time. And he was headed to see Joe Bartolotta. I knew Joe Bartolotta had wanted to get into the uh, burger business. And so I, I thought to myself, this light bulb goes off in my head. I have to be the first to be in the grass fed beef okay. burger business. And, uh, like all the stars were in alignment and, you know, there was this a place on the East side that was a burger place that failed. Uh, my Gordon food service salesman who bought, who brought uh, Bill Curtis, who I was a fan of because of his shows on cable, sure. on the cable stations. Um, 
So the, the salesman who brought Bill Curtis, his wife's a commercial realtor. I find this place on the east side. All I have to do literally is uh, sign the, the lease and take over. I okay. had to do nothing. And I had this new burger concept. And I thought I'd be the first one and blah, blah, blah. And uh, everybody was excited about a healthier beef option. And uh, that one didn't pan out. That was okay. Four, but you, so you did move forward on it. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> four years and four days later. Some guy wanted to take over my lease and I, and he was welcome to, and we realized at that point, um, you know, don't get a big head. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> somebody said, and this one's when you, when you capture lightning in a bottle, just be content with it. <laughs> don't try to do it again. My Sobelman's pub and grill was working for me. Yeah. Don't try to overthink it. And, and, and you see rest, I see restaurant now, so many years later, I'm seeing other restaurants owners do this and yeah. I'm looking back, I'm looking at them saying, that's going to be a mistake. They're making a mistake there, but they're getting a big head because they had that initial success, but now they got another idea. They're going right. to, they're going to stress themselves then. Right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. talk about the model of finding the burger that really works in Sobelman's. Like it's, I mean, so you took over a restaurant that was not a burger place, right? You made the burger concept. Talk about finding the thing that worked. Uh, that's led to what it is today. So I, I, I didn't know a lot about, I, I knew, I didn't know a lot about meat. I had some history in the restaurant business. Um, I knew more about bakery baking and I baked, uh, in my younger years. Uh, so my initial, um, my initial thoughts when I opened up and there was a, a grill there that they, they probably made a half dozen burgers a day. I don't know. On mm -hmm. Fridays, they might have made a couple dozen fish fries. Um, so the, the place that you took yeah, over. Yeah, yeah there, my, my, it. my original location. Right. Um, so when we opened up, the one thing that I thought would be very simple um, would be to find a better bun, not your you know, not your average or typical, you know, wonder bread style bun that comes in a rack and there's plastic, <laughs> you just rip it open, right. there's, you know, three dozen of them in there and, you know, you, you keep them in the freezer, you take them out and, right. uh, uh, so I went out and I found a bad, I went to local bakeries. I found a better bun big, okay. big time. I, at that time I was paying 32 cents for the bun and, and like, you can get these wonder bread style, like yeah. cheaper buns for like six cents. I remember telling Joe Bart a lot of that. He was blown away by it, but I said, you know, <laughs> this is, this makes the difference. Right. But I hadn't, it, the other thing was I was making, when you looked at the local burger places, they made these, bur it's kind of sloppy burgers and the lettuce and tomatoes are falling off. And I <laughs> made my burgers beautiful. Sometimes you win half the battle in the presentation. So I, right. did, I did these two things, but I started getting called out on the frozen patty. And it, so maybe look into a better patty. Okay. And I was determined to find something better. And I played games with this local company, that one. Ultimately, about four or five years ago, found uh, a great company who special. A lot of a lot of the meat purveyors, they're not in the burger business. They're in uh, like steaks, steak, right? And they cut off the edges of their steak and they grind that up, and they're just making a few extra bucks off their you know, their ground beef and their right. burger sales. Um, I found a place that specializes in burgers, and okay. been with them ever since. Are they local? Or are they elsewhere? Uh, they are no, they are located in the western part of, of the state, and we okay. get two deliveries a week. Got it. Got it. And your burgers have the right, I mean, it is, there's a distinct flavor to it. And you, between the bun and the burger, it's got a look and that look sometimes finds itself on top of a drink. Tell us about that, the Bloody Mary and how it became yeah. the signature that it is. So 
it's it's weird how <laughs> the first half of my career it's all about burgers and the second half it's all about Bl- bloody marys but and combined <laughs> yeah um yeah big time uh the burger on the bloody mary so uh there i you know i discovered facebook you put stuff on facebook mm-hmm. people like and comment right um i started playing on facebook i liked you know building the brand through Facebook, getting the likes, getting the comments. Um, one Saturday morning for the hell of it, just to see what would happen. I put a cheeseburger slider on the, uh, in the bloody Mary. Okay. And how I, many years ago was that? That's a good question. Uh, I should know this, but, uh, <laughs> I think we were still, I couldn't tell you if I had to guess it'd be eight or nine. Okay. So this is 2020. Yeah. Time's um, flying. Yeah. And and it was a Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. It's our busiest day and it's the day you get most attention on Facebook because people aren't working. Right. I didn't know that at the time that, you know, Facebook, for everybody out there who wants to build their brand, post your 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 most important post or the post that you, that you want to get the most attention on a Saturday or Sunday morning. Yeah. People are waking up late laying in the bed, playing on Facebook. Looking for something to do. Right? Yeah. Right. And so I, that's what I did. And, uh, and I didn't even have an iPhone at the time, you know, <laughs> I, I'm running up I'm, periodic. So I did that and, and I want to see what people are. So I posted it and I asked the question, am I going too far? <laughs> and periodically I'm working the front door. I'm the bus boy at my original location at the time. I think that was the only one that we had. Okay. And, um, and uh, every once in a while, I fly upstairs to my office. Well, I, own, I own the building on St. Paul Avenue. I fly upstairs to my office and I check Facebook. And I can't believe the attention that this post is getting. Yeah. So that evening, I leave a little early. I let the staff close. I get home at about 930. I sit down at the dining room table. My wife is already at home with the kids. And uh, I open up the laptop and, and there's just the likes and the comments. Mm-hmm. I can't believe it. And I look at my wife mm-hmm. and I say to myself, uh, I say to her, said, I don't know, but I think we're on to something here. Right. At that moment, a friend of mine who ultimately took over my social media, my business social media. Sure. Uh, it's like within seconds, he texts me. He says, Dave, you might have something here. Right. And so I want to say we just started pushing the cheeseburger side, but he pushed it. Like he okay. pushed it relentlessly. I had to learn on the fly how to make cheeseburgers this like sliders this fast <laughs> and get them out to customers because the customers would not stop coming for this at first we were just going to do it on the weekends and then we had to do it during the weekend how do you yeah. make sliders that fast we couldn't keep up everybody's coming in they want the cheeseburger slider and the bloody mary right and, and we're falling behind and so then we had to you know learn again on the job how to keep that many cheeseburger sliders ready right to, to serve fast right we didn't have enough buns and the, the, the tiny buns initially because we didn't know it would be this popular. Right. Well, it's interesting. I think most people say, well, great problem to have. And it is in one respect, but you also know the danger that if the quality slips, the whole thing can go away real quick. So you've got to maintain the volume and the quality simultaneously, train your your people Mm -hmm. how to do that, and then keep that standard. Talk about that. Keeping the standard is tough, right? Like, especially when you're in the restaurant business, I assume you've got long-staying employees and I bet you got people coming in new pretty consistently too. Um. Well, the standard that that's one thing you learn on the job, you know, you, 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 I quickly learned that how perfect me and my wife once were, um, we were no longer and it was, it's harder to be that perfect as the business 
increased and really just took off. And we, right. we were all overwhelmed in the beginning. The burgers might not be put together as perfectly. They might we might find that they're overcooked. You know, falling behind on cheeseburger sliders. Um, right. Um. Yeah, you have to work. That that was what I. If I could digress, sure. I don't want to be too busy these days. One, if there's anything <laughs> anything positive about COVID, maybe the only thing <laughs> is that it it has slowed us down to the point where we are now as clean as we once were mm-hmm. and doing as perfect of a job as we once did. Mm-hmm. Like I am convinced today that yeah, we are on we we're doing an excellent job. We're perfect in our burgers and Bloody Marys and everything we're doing is as good as anybody's in town. Right. So there was a time when other people were, you know, copying me and opening up burger places and serving Bloody Marys. And it's it's you know it's gonna be more difficult for me to be as perfect because I'm packed every day. It's gonna be easier for them when they're yeah. Serving at a dozen tables a day, right. it's easier for them to make a better burger and a better uh, Bloody Mary because they can give every single table, every single ticket, you know, the TLC that they need. Mm-hmm. And for us, we have lines out the door. That's not always. So if there's anything positive about COVID, that's it. You're sitting in a very clean restaurant right now. <laughs> I am sitting. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Well, actually, <laughs> let me ask you about I want to talk more about COVID in a minute and how you're managing the business through that. There's So there's a whole other element to being a restaurateur, which is like you create atmosphere, you create a place that people want to come to. And your restaurants were, again, we're in 16th and, uh, and Wells and St. Paul and Waukesha. They have a look to them and talk to me about how you came up. I mean, it's very, it's Milwaukee Tavern, right? And that's existed for a long time, but you fully adopted it and you've clearly like made it a part of the ethos of the place. Talk to me about that. Is it just organic and that's the way it always looked or, um, I think uh, well, when, when we opened the first place, you know, yeah, it was just the Milwaukee Tavern, mm-hmm. and it sort of became the style of Sobelman's. Like since then, I've been offered places at the Mayfair Collection, at the Bayshore Town Center. Uh, you know, there's sites I went to to look at. Sure, um, but uh, I uh, I realized that wasn't a Sobelman's pub and go. One thing, this might be odd. I don't have a whole lot of bikers as customers. I do have some. <laughs> during the summer months especially. But I thought to myself, a, a Sobelman's Pub and Grill in the Mayfair collection, how many of the bikers that I know would ride in on their Harleys <laughs> and feel as comfortable right. parking at the Mayfair collection? And there was this place that I looked at there and I, and I we considered it like we're flattered that, you know, the, the developers there want us. We were right. flattered when when the, the manager at the Bayshore Town Center uh, wanted us. But I, I guess that's kind of, that's, maybe the the rule or the what finally at the end of the day i i imagine my the bikers how comfortable mm-hmm. would they be riding into a mall parking their bikes in front? <laughs> and when and when it doesn't work for them i say no that's 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 not for Sobelman's. right uh, not that we have a lot of uh, bikers again um how this I, I you know this happened the first location was um you know, I don't drink coffee every day. And just those couple of <laughs> sips has me kind of wired. Uh, 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 what, uh, the first location was an old, and so I just, that just seemed to be what Sobel was. The right so, yeah, so moving forward, yeah. each location kind of became something similar. Right. So this location is probably the most different. It's a col- it is, you know, 70, 80 years old, but it doesn't look like the others, but it's a college bar. So I can get away with kind sure. of being, it's really cool. Right. Loaded with Marquette uh, 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 
for the, we're for sitting the, here now. There's yeah. blue and gold everywhere. Everywhere, yeah. Right. My, my mother-in-law's <laughs> my manager. She does a great job, and it's cool for college kids. But the other right. locations, older bars, you know, 100, 120-year-old bars, buildings, uh, just kind of became what Sobelman's is, you know, and, and right. I, I liked it. And I purposely started, when we when we started selling franchises, that was one of the re requirements. Um, is yeah. to keep that look and feel. Yeah, right. so it's kind of like it, one example I, I would give early on through the, the, the first year of franchising when I'm talking to uh, prospects or my franchise salesman mm -hmm. is that, you know, they don't all have to look identical and they're not going to look identical. But mm -hmm. think of them, think of this, the Sobelman's brand as a car show. Yeah. You know, you go to a car show, you have a 57 Chevy, you have the 64, whatever, Impala, 67 Buick, uh, you know, what just imagine 56 Buick, whatever, right? They all look completely different, but they're all collector cars, and we all have our favorite. And right, that would kind of be on my mind when I would think to myself, you know, each location is slightly different, but they're all collector cars, and someone might like this better than the other, someone might like that one better. For instance, and if I could describe the, the, the four locations, this yeah. was built in the mid uh, 50s and it was okay. a pizza place, so it doesn't have that sort of old bar feel like the others. My my original location was built in 1889. Yep. It was a Schlitz Tide house. It's where the sailors and factory workers and you know blue collar uh, workers in the valley would go to. Um, my Mequon location was built in 1892, probably after COVID now, the most attractive. Okay. And we spent, and that's the one that I spend most time, most of my time at. Um, that used to be the uh, Centennial? Yes. Yeah, okay. Spent a lot of time cleaning yep. all of the wood the wood floor, yep. uh, we um, polyurethane the floor. It is absolutely beautiful. This one, just beautiful, beautiful bar. Thank you. Yeah, that yeah. and that. There's a history to that bar. Came from another bar, the Bohemian, I believe, uh, club, which was on Tenth and North Avenue. When, yep. when the you know this city was you know the north side of the city was settled by Germans and everybody had their you know Germany was a big country, but with different groups, and Bohemians came from a, a certain area, and this was their bar and. Uh, we have old photos of the bar when it was at that location. Okay. The Waukesha location was an uh, was a, a livery. Is that the way you pronounce it? It's where the horses were kept, oh. where they were worked on, and then they taken across the street to what was the old Waukesha train station, which is now a Mexican restaurant called La Estación. So okay. it has some history. Uh, they're all over a hundred, well over a hundred years old. You know, really cool, cool and they places. Have a, a look and a feel. Yes. And it's the kind of place that it's a special place to go, and then again like an ethos to it right and a brand that people love and so that that really means something i it's interesting you bring that up so when i was a kid we lived all over the milwaukee we i i went to homestead high school lived in mequon we used to go to centennial okay. uh, when i was younger there's some family history with that bar i can't i think it was my great-grandfather used to go to the bohemian mm -hmm. and so when my grandfather would go to Centennial, he would know that was the bar that his 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 father used to, mm -hmm. to drink at. So, yeah. And how many other Milwaukeeans, right, have touched these these establishments in different ways? You talked about the St. Paul location. It was originally it was started by Schlitz. Like Schlitz owned their own bars locally. Yeah, before Prohibition, apparently that was legal. The the breweries could, um, you know, they'd build a bar in the city. Okay. And they'd lease it to. The barkeep with the promise that it's probably in the lease that you could only sell that he could only, only sell that brand. Yeah, so <laughs> you'll see around town um, bars that might still have the logos on them: Schlitz, Pabst, Blatt, and, and Miller. 
um, there aren't a whole lot, and there are more Schlitz bars because uh, Schlitz was number one. The beer uh, that made Milwaukee famous. Yeah, around yep. the turn of the century. Right. Uh, I think over the years, sometimes people were, I don't know, they were embarrassed by that. Uh, the logos that were uh, in their buildings, and they would take them out for whatever reason. Maybe they'd sell them as collectors, our true sure. collectors. is. Um, but so there's not a lot of those left. But we, I, my building has that half globe. Yep. Um, not quite as cool as the uh, Serbian restaurant in Bayview with the full globe on the top <laughs> right, of their right. building. But um, <laughs> that guy, that's a beautiful building. He does a great job of keeping his globe perfect. Should we talk about that first, about COVID and how you're managing through it? And Sure. Yeah. Well, first, you mentioned, so it's given you a bit of a slowdown um, that's allowed you to, to work on quality, make sure that standards are being set. How, how else has it affected you? How has it hit you? And how do you think about the next steps and, and what needs to be done? Well, it's cut business, you know, by 30 to 40%. It's hard okay. to say. I have three restaurants, so each is completely different. Right. The market location that we're at right now, this has probably hit the hardest. You know, I need the market students. I need the staff and faculty right. here. Um, and this is the, lo this location relies on them more than anything right. else. I do have, I, you know, there is some business that I once got that it had nothing to do with market. There are people in town who are visiting staff. I'm sorry, visiting family, mm -hmm. friends, and they're staying at hotels downtown and they wander up here because this is the closest Sobelman's. as I think oftentimes they're yeah. meaning to go to the, the other, other one. <laughs> they accidentally wander in here or, you know, someone at the hotel tells them to come here. Um, but uh, what was my point? You were saying 30, 30 to 40%. Yeah, yeah this one was hit the hardest. Yeah. You know, now that school is out and they're playing and the, the university is playing games with, you know, school that, you know, there's more of a Christmas break than there's been in the past. Yeah. They're, they're gone until uh, January 20th or so. And so, like, I think there's like 20 to 25% of the students on campus. I can't really say, but we're guessing it about that. There's okay. some, you know, there's some uh, older, uh, older students who, you know, uh, they're paying for their apartment on campus. They've gotten some um, independence over mm -hmm. the years. They don't want to go home and live in their mom's uh, bedroom and have to answer right. to their mother every time they leave the bedroom. Right. And, and they like, you know, drinking too much and sleeping late and, and being <laughs> on campus with their friends. And fortunately for me, uh, uh, but the majority have gone home. And when there's, when the, when this, the school is closed, there's 2,500 give or take staff and faculty members that aren't working every day. So they're not coming in for lunch. Right. Um, COVID, our lunch business used to be the staff and faculty, uh, the hospital, blood center, dental school, and uh, some courthouse people, people from sure. the, all four of those, you know, Either they're not working, the courthouse is not working, and the rest are in the healthcare business industry, and they they're afraid to wander out in in the public, and because they might get COVID and take it back to right. the blood center, right. and so there goes my lunch business. Yeah. So we're open here four to nine, and uh, so, COVID, so you've completely shut down lunch service yeah. for now. Okay. COVID has hit this location the hardest. Yeah. Big time. Fortunately, Marquette's working with me. This is the one location I do not own. I lease. Okay. And so they've worked with me on uh, some breaks on on the lease. So Marquette, the university owns the building? They own this building. Okay. They own everything up and down Well Street. Oh, but that kind of turned down, shutting down service. Uh, and I don't mean to, 
share only what you feel comfortable with, but I assume you've had to make some amount of layoffs or just not hire new people. Is how have you handled that on the personnel side? We've not we've not laid off one person. Okay. Any, anyone who wants to work, we figured out a way to make to make you know to give them a job to let them work. Um, some okay. of the younger kids when they realize they're going to get six hundred dollars to stay at home. Um, they stayed at home and, you know, there's been, there's a few cases that we had to work with the state of Wisconsin on where mm -hmm. we offered these kids work. They refused to answer phone calls okay. or text. And three of them now, um, the state of Wisconsin has said that they owe one. Well, there's one particular guy. He's about 30 years old. He's not even a kid. Yeah. And he owes $4,300 to the state of Wisconsin because, because he refused, he he refused to, uh, to come back to a job. Um, he refused to answer text. Just refused. Okay. For several months. Interesting. But no one's been laid off. We figured it out. We did We did quite well um, with the third-party delivery uh, services during COVID. Talk about that. So you mean like uh, DoorDash and, or what? The DoorDash, Uber. And Uber, right? Um, some of my larger deliveries. Uh, I, I've got relationships with people, different you know businesses, and they'll order for their staff twenty burgers, thirty burgers, stuff like that. Okay. Um, others, I acquired luckily during. Um, um, for instance, there was a chemical company on the northwest side. I would deliver to their meetings twenty, thirty burgers. Okay. This chemical company started making hand sanitizer and they were working the hell out of everybody three shifts. Yep. And so as a way to, to show staff appreciation every month, they'd order everyone at all, at both plants, um, burgers. That's great. So, yeah. So I'm making two deliveries for lunch, a, a delivery in one day. Well, it's really three. It's Thursday night at 11 o'clock and then Friday morning, two lunch deliveries and then Friday evening at five 30, another, uh, it helped pay the bills big time. Well, uh, what a great way to not just reward employees, but again, keep business local and keep you guys up and running. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's great leadership for a part of uh, a business there in our community. You order a double Sobelman burger with some cheese balls and, and it's, it's oh, at your right. house in 30, 40 minutes. Right. And you never had to get up off the couch. I think uh, they're here. Yeah. They're here to stay in the third party delivery services big time. How are the economics for you? You don't have to get into details you don't want to, but how are the economics? Give or take, they get about 25%. So okay. fortunately for me, I know initially people didn't like those, that, that number. Or they didn't like the percentages. Yeah. But you mean restaurant owners? Restaurant yeah. owners did yeah. not. Uh, but the year or so prior to COVID, you know, we had a decent night, a dine-in business uh, during the evenings. It's not what it once was because mm -hmm. the city has like 20 times more restaurants now than it did when, when we opened in 99. Right. But we had a decent, uh, not, you know, evening business, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So I thought to myself, just to keep my staff, my cooks busy and every little bit counts. If I, yeah. if, you know, if I get 75% on the dollar, it's, it's better than getting nothing. Yeah. Right. And so I signed up with Uber, DoorDash, and I was signed up uh, well in advance of COVID. Okay. And so that really, luckily, you know, fortunately, that helped us get through the first month or so when all the other restaurant owners who didn't like those percentages. Trying to get in the system. Yeah. I'm sure that the DoorDash Uber salesmen were super busy. Right. Our representatives were super busy that first month because everybody realized that was our, uh, our at least our immediate future, if not our right future and they needed uh these services right yeah no it's uh it's about adapting to a market right and separate from covid i think you make the point that, like technology is what it is and people are going to 
have options that we just simply didn't have 24 months ago. Um, and so you got to adapt and change. Speaking of adapting and changing, as you look forward, um, what are some of your plans for the future? Is it get through COVID, stay steady, get through COVID? Do you think about expansion or how do you think about the future of the business? The most immediate, really, for me, unfortunately, and I talked about it earlier, sometimes for me, just getting through the day is, yeah. I mean, that's my, the big, each morning I wake up with a new challenge. Yep. And it usually has to do with just getting through the day. Um, there are some days that are better, but about 50% of the, you know, of my mornings are, are that just yep. figuring out a way to get through the day. You have to deal with a lot of people too, which must introduce just a ton of variability in every day. Um, customers, employees. No, usually my, my customers are great. It's some of the younger employees that have been <laughs> difficult, really. My customers are great. Um, it's hard to, when I answer questions, I have to remember that I have three locations. They're all completely different. Right. I spend most of my time at my North Shore location. My yep. customers are great. Um, you know, they go out of their way because I'm there all day long, every day, and I'm giving the kind of attention and service that I, that we once gave right. when we opened up our original location. Um, they come, they go out of their way to, uh, talk to me and say how great things were. They go out of their way to go online and leave great reviews. Um, in one aspect, uh, things are very positive because of the good service and the quality of the food right. that we're, um, well, again, we wake up every day with a challenge and the challenge usually has to do with staff. Right. Right. It's tough. I mean, it's, uh, managing people is a unique, a uh, unique challenge, right? Because when you think as a founder or business owner that everything's pointed in the right direction, suddenly something's not, and it can be because of just personal issues that people have to deal with every day in their life. I remember uh, when I was a captain of the Marine Corps, I mean, 10% of my job was preparing for deployments to go fight wars. And then you're there, that's 100% of your job. But 90% of that job in garrison is dealing with humans, human issues, human problems, things that come up in day-to-day -day life that you're intrinsically involved in, whether or not you want to, not because you're nosy and difficult, but because you got to be able to get your team ready to go out and do their job. It's a tough thing to do. That is in our lives, my, my wife and my, that is the most difficult thing. The most difficult challenge that we have is dealing with, uh, with, with staff people. Right. And each one is different and their wants and needs and um, somehow being able to balance out your frustration with them, but your, your, the need for them to come to work and do their job and having right. to work with them. Yeah. There's a market, there's give and take, uh, owners make decisions, employees make decisions. Uh, owners have a vested interest in building good relationships with their employees and their communities. And if they don't do that, there's a long-term effect to that. And you talked about some of, you know, reputations of various companies over the many years who, who did take advantage of employees. Well, guess what happened? They unionized, they came back and they, some of those negotiations had long-term negative effects for those companies to the point where what 35% of a GM vehicle uh, is now being paid into various benefits, which the company probably can't afford long-term. And so, so there's a cause and there's an effect and there's a relationship. And if you're a smart business owner and founder, you're thinking about that stuff and you realize it's not all one way or the other, there's give and take, and you got to invest an interest in taking care of your team. Um, and nowhere, I, I mean, I've never, I've worked a little bit in restaurant, like when I was in high school, but but in a service industry where the, the touch points are so common between your staff and your customers, uh, all the more true, right? Because if you're not, if they're not of the right mindset, that can kill your business right there. 
yeah. talk to Dale about a lot of the grit and the reality and like the decisions you have to make in order to keep a business going to make it as successful as yours is. So we appreciate it. Um, I would just ask you any message you have for our listeners on just, you know, the state of the world or the near future. Um, no, can't can't wait to get. I can't. You know what? I can't wait to get through COVID, and uh, you know we'd have to go, go deep into some others. I'm. No, I think that's it. <laughs> no, I wanted to talk about. You know, I'm all about business and and and, and the American dream and having people go after it and uh, entrepreneurship and stuff like that. Um, but. You'd have to, I would, that you'd have to come at me from a different angle, and we might lead into something else. And again, the two or three cup uh, sips of uh, that coffee have screwed up my morning. <laughs> right. Uh, so you know, maybe a few more Sobelmans, maybe more than a few more. Uh, you know, in Sheboygan, Green Bay, Appleton, uh, stuff like that, Madison, a couple, in, but who knows? Right now, I the biggest, you know, goal for us is just to get out of this COVID thing and right. Uh, yeah, you know, find a way to pay our bills more easily, find some staff that, uh, you know, so long term, you know, let's see what Sobelman's can do. Yeah. Short term, just get through this next few months, six months. If people keep saying six months, now that there's a vaccine, you know, I, I don't think, I think it'll be years before. You know, there's some members of uh, of the, you know, the community, some people in, in the country who are forever going to be uh, scarred by COVID and they're just, they're going to, they're going to be so such germaphobes they'll never go out again so i don't know that we'll ever be as busy as we once um were but i didn't always like being so busy because we weren't <laughs> doing the perfect job that we once did well never say never and your your quality and your reputation precede your your institution your people throughout the community love you and thank you but i think you are sending a great message which is let's get through this and the opportunities for growth will come in the future, but it's about doing the right thing now and getting your team and your business through it. And you're setting a great example as you do it. So thank you. Thank you. Hey, you know, ultimately, I want to retire and be, and walk the beach uh, uh, of uh, Myrtle Beach uh, with my <laughs> wife, where my wife is from. And I just want to relax and have no more stress. Oh, well, and we wish you the best in getting there. And in the meantime, our team will be frequenting your restaurants as will our family. And it's it's great to have had the chance to sit down and talk with you, Dan. Thank you. Best of luck going forward. Uh, thank you Take care. Much. Thanks for joining us on the Right Idea Podcast. And we look forward to speaking to you all soon. Take care, everybody. I'm Kevin Nicholson. Thank you for joining us today on the Right Idea Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the Right Idea Podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, Ricochet, Stitcher, Luminary, or wherever you listen to podcasts.